Matt Krieger. Becky Soglin. Ingram. Megan Hill. Eric Tate. Daniel Bissell. Jesse Lechner. Casey Hutchinson. And Sarah Gardner. Right. Um, I guess if everyone's seen copies of the uh, September 13th minutes, which was uh, mostly the presentation by the marketing consultants, um, and you approve of those minutes, uh, we can go ahead and put those in officially. Any objections or? Uh, I move to accept the minutes. Second. Second. Somebody? Becky Sogling uh, seconding that uh, motion. Um, uh, then the next thing I guess is any any comments from the public um, regarding items not on the agenda. I don't really have anyone here from the public today. Move on from that. Um, let's move, I guess, from there to staff announcements. So Sarah and Rachel. Uh, so the first item on the staff announcements was action items from the last meeting. And as you may have noted in the minutes, there were no actionable items, although we did encourage everyone to attend Climate Fest and uh, we we're delighted to see many of you there. So thank you for that. Sort of. Some more on time than others. <laughs> <laughs> I came late. I, I, I forgot about it. So I came like in the last 10 minutes oh, no. for my but, shift. But made a very valuable contribution. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the next item then is the climate action and outreach updates, um, and we sent an attachment for this in your agenda packet. Um, the first item on that, of course, was Climate Fest, which we felt to be very successful this year. We had solid attendance at all the events. I think the highest attended event was uh, likely the mural painting, which people seem to really enjoy. We had, um, it looks like over 120 volunteers from the community who signed up to help paint that mural. Uh, we got very good press coverage, um, including articles in the Press Citizen, the Daily Iowan. Uh, we had two segments in uh, a news feed from KWWL uh, and were included in Senator Hoag's newsletter. And actually, I was quite delighted to open my, uh, my Sunday paper and find that someone had spontaneously written a letter to the editor in praise of Climate Fest. So that was exciting. Um, I just brought it in because it mentions things that Wendy Ford had worked on, so I wanted to pass it on to her. Always nice to have the hard copy. Um, and then we had many stories gathered. Um, I think just under 40 stories gathered from different members of the community uh, in our storytelling booth. And I noted on here that uh, the stories were being cleaned and compiled. We actually just this morning received um, a sort of rough cut of the video that we hope to release later, uh, looking at those stories. So what I'm gonna do is pull that up so that you all, you can be the first to see it, which is fun. Um, but we actually have big plans for those stories, I'll say, uh, beyond Climate Fest. Like one, it is a great way to engage the community at those events, so it has served that purpose. We hope to continue doing things like this when we're out at community events, um, in part because, as we've discussed many times, we know the thing that most persuades people to take climate action is to hear about how others are doing so, um, who are friends and neighbors. But also, as we're looking ahead to our uh, website redesign, we'd like to really build a storytelling focus in on that. And so what this has given us is a lot of raw material to work with. So we hope to keep repackaging and reusing the uh, material. As, as we used to say when I was a journalist, we hope to repaint that wagon several times. <laughs> um, but let me pull up that video for you because it's, it's really nice.
and I'm pulling it up on Zoom so that those accessing it remotely can hear hear it as well. I take climate action because I care about the planet and I hope to still have a beautiful planet in the future for my children and my children's children. I feel you have to take action for your climate, for your future generations, and here's our future generations right here, so you have to do your part and take responsibility for anything you can do. We all need to. There is there's no question of why. We've gone past the time where there was a place where we could return back, but now it is eminent that we have to. Well, it's critical that we change our ways at this time because we simply can't continue. The recent issues have shown us this. The science shows us this. It's, our, it's a critical issue today, right now. I take climate action by being really cautious about my actions, um, whether that be the food that I eat, the packages that I buy, or how I get from place to place. I ride my bike or, or walk to school because it lowers pollution. Trying to promote uh, habitat restoration and people um, planting native plants, people allowing some of their, their yard space uh, to be a little bit more natural and wild shopping for produce ethically at places like the farmer's market. If you eat meat, eat a little bit less meat. You know, even if you give up meat one day a week, that's something. The, the old um, thing our Depression-era parents said, you know, use it up, make do, or do without. Every action possible to stop climate change is important. Insulating your house, riding your bike, um, it all adds up. What gives me hope is the fact that we can impact future generations. It's really hopeful for me because I just like to be positive because, well, we've done enough of all these bad things, right? So now people are starting to aware of that, actually, which is really great. I mean, the new generations like coming up is also like really strong against, you know, um, fighting for the climate actions, right? I'm really excited about the electric future. That's one of the things that gives me hope is uh, seeing more and more people starting to drive electric vehicles. Well, the earth is very resilient and people are very resilient. And sometimes in a time of like a dreadful disaster, we'll see suddenly people will get it. They'll be kind. They'll step out of their little river things and they'll be good to other people. They'll share what they have. They'll work as a team to make success. And I think that the bell is ringing. And I hope that that spirit can be awakened. Iowa City's just one of its strengths is the community and how easy it is to get plugged in and meet people and uh, get other people excited about something. People want to take action. So it's an easier place than most to uh, start organizing and uh, make change. good but you don't need to hear it twice good <laughs> so 
So we're really pleased with that. Um, and we've, uh, I've been hearing in the last week from folks who would like to be uh, involved in Climate Fest next year, including a food truck vendor, Rachel. So okay. I'm be excited about that. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to pause there. I know that's a big event for us. And I wanna make sure that if there are any questions about Climate Fest, we get them answered before moving on. Maybe just thank you for all your hard work on that. I know you put a lot of how much effort I think you put into that. So just round of applause <laughs> for everyone who was involved. Because I thought it was great. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciated the um, some of the sort of infographic material that was ready to go beforehand, made it easier to share with students. And, you know, especially uh, younger folks, they don't want to read websites, videos and infographics like that will be helpful. Well, great, thank you. We're looking forward to building on the successes next year. So um, then moving on, we'll just hit a few highlights here in the list. The marketing, marketing RFP, as you know, what is uh, underway into phase two, they actually, uh, Cause Impacts presented four different brand strategy ideas um, and creative concepts to Shannon and I last weekend, uh, Shannon being um, Shannon McMahon, our communications specialist here. So uh, she and I are going over those and providing feedback, but there's some exciting early work being done, particularly around the mascot we hope to roll out. So that's fun. And then Green Iowa AmeriCorps, um, this was another one that I wanted to pause on. I feel like there are things that we work very hard on in the office, like Climate Fest, and it's easily recognizable how hard the work is. Um, with Green Iowa AmeriCorps, I think the fruits are a little more subtle. So I just want to, I just want to take a moment and put them a bit on the radar. We had our new team on board actually last week. I was working with them to get them trained. Um, and I'm actually quite proud of our recruitment efforts, which we worked on quite hard over the summer um, using the help of last year's AmeriCorps team and then uh, tapping into some resources within our office as well. And as a result of that, um, as of last week, we were the only city in Iowa that had a full energy and community team in place and ready to go. On top of which uh, we set some... Um, goals for ourselves in terms of increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion on the team um, and making it, uh, I think, a, an important initiative, rolling it into our green jobs work that we're doing um, and making sure that we're really recruiting members who come from the community and can be tapped in right away. And as a result of all those efforts, um, not only do we have a full team, but uh, three members of our team identify as white, two identify as black, one is connected with the local um, Islam community. He's uh, very active with the local mosque. We have someone who is active with um, affordable housing and uh, low income initiatives here in the city. Um, and we have members who range in age from 22 to 55. So um, it's an incredibly diverse team and I think it's going to be much stronger um, we have always been lucky to have strong teams, I would say, or we've had strong teams in the past, but I'm just really excited about what this team is bringing to the table. So some good work there. And thanks, Megan, for the work you and your team did to contribute to that. Have you gotten a sense on, of what types of, um, what aspects of the recruitment process may have been most useful, successful towards those ends? Um, I think there are two things we did. Um, one is very early on, we translated our recruitment materials um, so that we were reaching out to just a broader segment of the community. 
The other thing we did, uh, we translated, I should say, into, I want to say Spanish, French, Arabic. Am I forgetting one? I think there are two more. Yeah. So we uh, translated and then we followed up. I spent a lot of time reaching out to community-based organizations. Um, <laughs> poor Eric knows I reached out to him about reaching out to his church. Um, you know, just any way we could think of reaching out to community organizations and saying, you know, you don't have to just be a recent college graduate. There are all kinds of ways to participate and really highlighting what the benefits are. And I will say the other thing we did that I'm actually quite proud of, and thanks goes to Rachel for this, for uh, helping us find work with the budget to make it possible. Every AmeriCorps team um, of five that comes for the energy and community team, two members uh, go through a BPI, a building professional certification to do energy audits in homes. And uh, we see that as a really important resume builder. Um, you know, a lot of the people who do come to the team may not know what an important skill set that is to ha have on their resume. They may not know going in that they're going to be very interested in doing energy audits. Um, and so in some ways it can be a missed opportunity for the other three members of the team. What we did was reach out to the Green Iowa AmeriCorps coordinators at the state level and ask if it would be possible for Iowa City to pay for additional members of our team to get that certification. Um, and as a result, four out of the five members of our team have been going through that training and will be certified in the next two weeks. So that is a green jobs credential that they will, will be able to put on their resume going forward. And I feel um, just really proud of the city for making that possible. Megan, you might better be able to speak to what a big deal that is. Every single person that has had that certification with Green Iowa gets a job right away. Mm. So yeah, really awesome. I was unfortunate like <laughs> to not get it, but yeah, it's great. So thank you. Um, and they are all set. We actually uh, had over 30 people sign up for home energy audits during Climate Fest. So I know that the AmeriCorps team is busy scheduling those right now to get out into the community and start doing them. And the state gives them a goal of doing 150 audits over the course of the year. I have told them I would really like to see us go over and above that, especially since we took last year sort of off for COVID. So, um, and Danny will talk more about how we're going to roll them into our energy efficiency program in a minute. Um, the others, I think, are fairly straightforward. Um, we are getting ready to launch the second phase of our TIF-funded energy initiatives. Um, we have funded eight um, projects so far in the three districts we were initially working with. There's another one in the pipeline right now. Um, if it gets approved, it will bring us to just under a million dollars uh, granted through that program. And Wendy Ford has begun looking at expanding it into the downtown district and the north side neighborhood, including that business district, which technically falls outside of the downtown TIF district. But here too, we've been working to find a way to tap into some additional funds to make it possible. And that actually um, stems in part for work done for Climate Fest, just to show how many of these little initiatives that are public engagement facing end up bearing other fruit. Um, one of the things that Olivia, our, our communications assistant and I did was actually hit the bricks downtown and walk through the north side commercial district and through the downtown just reaching out to individual businesses going door to door and asking if they'd like to participate in uh, the map we were building of green initiatives among businesses downtown and through that we found that there were actually a number of business owners just north of downtown 
um, in the block where Oasis Falafel is and those businesses who are very interested in uh, climate action and energy efficiency programs, but technically are outside of the area that would have qualified. So thanks to that little bit of uh, just old fashioned walking and talking work, we were able to, I think, better refine that program for the future. So that's good. Are you finding a lot as part of that process? Did you find that a lot of those businesses are also owner occupied? No, <laughs> which is one of the challenges. Um, and Wendy can speak more to it, but uh, one of the things we're building into it is of course, getting the owner's consent. Um, and we've talked about how better to interface with the landlords to make it possible for their business tenants to participate in those programs. Um, there were five Climate Action Network awardees recognized during Climate Fest. Hopefully you saw the video that went out. Uh, the Gross Solar Lynn and Johnson County program uh, closed last week. Um, as At the time of the writing of this update, we we're very close to the milestone. Becky, do you know if we met the next milestone of building 500 kilowatts? I may, but the information isn't really public yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll tentatively expect good news there. But it's good news already, just in the kilowatt hour or kilowatt capacity that was already built through that program. Um, the other th talking point that came up that's not on this list is that this is, I believe, was it the fourth or the fifth year that that program's run? It was the, the fifth year in the area, but the third year in which Iowa City was able to participate. There we go. Yeah. Um, and of those five years, it was the fourth lowest. Um, performing in terms of enrollment, followed by, a, or the previous year had also been a little uh, low performing. In fact, I think we didn't even meet the third milestone last year. Or we goal. met the third, but not the, the third, fourth. Not the fourth, gotcha. Um, so there has been some initial discussion among the entities involved in that about maybe pausing the program next year on the sense that maybe one of the reasons it's under enrolling is that it's a victim of its own success, that it's been so successful in previous years, we may see a bit of market saturation at the moment. And it might make sense in terms of trying to meet those milestones in the future to pause and let a little demand build up before we do it again. So um, we don't know, but we'll keep you posted on that discussion. What do you, what do you, uh, what do you think like uh, the program would look like? You bring it back and do the same thing as you've done or just? Like you're shaking your head. The amount of time that it takes, the staff time, we would need to have a more significant outcome. I think. Okay. I think there's also some discussion about incorporating energy efficiency more fully into the program. Well, as well. Than having it just be about solar. I mean, but, something that's probably driving this year's declination for sure is the the sunsetting of the state level tax credit. I mean, that's probably the less than saturation, from what I hear, I mean, that going away makes the economics, you know, 12 years or something more rather than what they were. I think that probably is a huge factor. It's still, the, it's actually over, yeah, the state credit is oversubscribed. So that was never a part of the calculation when the when you scholar that, was right. showing the quotes because they didn't want to obviously mislead anybody in anybody way, in any way. So it was only the federal tax credit. So in addition to that decreasing, that decreasing there was the, also a loss. So the percentage of credit is, is much lower. So some complexities worth evaluating before we'll, yeah, plunging ahead. We'll probably, if the group's interested, we can probably say more either next month or in two months. 
once we have the debrief with all the partners there are about 15 partners all together yeah one thing one interesting option is that um there's a lot more uptake now of, of ppas and then just um you know like where they can affect that delta so energy costs so you are putting nothing up front and you can get certain allocation on your roof up to your, like your max energy usage or smaller whatever it is and then do you like your 20-year ppa and instead of paying say you know 10 or 11 cents a kilowatt hour they just take it down to eight so you're paying less for your energy over the next 20 years but you're have no upfront cost so you wouldn't get the sweetheart deal that you would have gotten two years ago but it doesn't exist and over time you know someone reducing your bill by 20 percent um is, is a great option the, the question is how does that work with the mortgage lien and if you feel comfortable switching if you sell your house in between then and it's just more explanation to the next homeowner but no one i feel like would would balk at getting cheaper energy so that's i think the new way that because a lot of it, you know, installers can capitalize that up front with a PPA. And that's beginning to become more of the trend than owning your own solar on your roof. So you might want to come back with that strategy too. We've certainly seen it on the business side. It'd be interesting to see how that applies at the at the residential scale, but and also how it's affected or will be affected by the lower incentives also for the for the investors who have that who hold that contract. Right. For the, yeah. for the and, and for me, I'm I'm looking at doing one here in the fall just to see. And I'm talking to, you know, different um, real estate agents and trying to figure out like what it's going to do to my property value if anything um, and it seems like there's just an upside and so that once that's figured out people feel comfortable they're not going to have trouble selling their house because people are inheriting a contract and they understand that there's just value on their roof um, then I think that it'll it'll work out pretty well but that seems to me to be the way forward right now Un unless the some kind of a new federal bill passes with more tax credits, which is looking bleaker and bleaker. You know, the tax incentives at the state level aren't aren't being funded any longer, but um, the state does still have the existing statute that for the first five years, the solar installations on your roof, um, it can't be counted into the assessment, property assessment for it. So you don't pay the property tax, increased property tax for the first five years. So I'd say get those solar panels on your roof now, Stratus, and sell your house in four years. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we'll just move quickly through the couple others then. Um, we finally have, speaking of solar, the solar panels up on the Taylor Drive property, which is really exciting. And the Green Iowa AmeriCorps team is gonna go over this week to do a blower door test just to practice over there, but also to get us some data on. Unfortunately, we don't have a baseline to compare it to, but it'll be interesting all the same to see what the daily air exchanges are now that we've done a number of things over at the house. So I'll report back to you on that. Um, and then the EV readiness plan, we had our first quarterly working group meeting in August. Um, and what we did is everybody from the reporting cities went out and took pictures of signage attached to their EV parking stalls. Um, and we discovered that there is a lot of variety. I mean, it's very consistent if you're Tesla or if you're a mid-am installed site, but from city to city, there's great variation. So at the next meeting, we're gonna talk about um, coming together with some recommended best practices for our city so that there's a little more regional coherence, uh, making it easier for EV drivers to find those public stations. Um, and I'm gonna turn the next section over to Daniel to talk a little about the work he's been doing since getting hired on as our analyst. Real quick, before we move on to that, on the EV readiness plan, what is the, so this was the first quarterly, quarterly meeting mm -hmm. you had, you said, so is there, a, is this sort of an ongoing, um, like no end date? Um, 
yeah. initiative or okay yeah i'd say so and it's really nice it's um it's really an outgrowth of i'd say the very solid planning uh process that icf initiated in creating that plan like actually i was talking to planning students over at the university today and i was saying you know I will take an ugly plan with a good planning process any day because it's the planning process that really flows into implementation. And so one of the outcomes of that plan was that the regional planning group was so engaged when the plan was completed, they were like, we really wanna keep having these conversations and we wanna keep all touching in as we're moving the plan forward. So um, yes, those regional plans are gonna continue uh, with no end date uh, quarterly until I guess we're just saturated with ev charging stations <laughs> good, to good to hear yeah. <laughs> so that's the icf is the is the volkswagen settlement money right uh, icf the, was the consulting firm we used that, that helped what, put that together was, the, plan. the volkswagen money that, that allowed for that i think actually it was through um i don't think it was through the volkswagen settlement money i think it was uh, america american recovery act funds actually that paid for that but i can double check so what happened what, what did happen with the uh with the volkswagen ev um, you know, that Brenda had been looking at getting to do the regional plan that ever came through or that? I guess they just identified a different pot of money to use for it. My understanding is most of the Volkswagen money, if not all of it's actually going for physical infrastructure in the state of Iowa. So okay. it would have gone for, um, it goes for charging stations and um, it, I think vehicle replacement in fleets, there's some funds there for it, but the planning funds came from somewhere else. All right, Daniel, take it away. All right. <clears throat> so I won't go through the uh, entire proposal. It was, it was in the uh, uh, packet, but I'll hit the highlights of the. Um... Oh, one second. Here. Jumping ahead. So, what we want to talk about is the section on reporting and analysis for the office update. Just basically, you're going to hear more about the energy efficiency update, but also some of the other analytical work that he's been doing. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so I recently uh, updated our submission uh, to uh, CDP um, for the uh, Global Covenant of Mayors report. And I believe that was accepted today or confirmed that they did accept that. Yeah, they, they have it, but we won't get our scores back for a couple months probably. And then um, our public EV charging station usage has been uh, analyzed. I've been working on that, um, on the usage and uh, usage by location. Uh, the transportation department reached out to me on uh, uh, possible expansion of EV charging in the parking ramps. Uh, so we put that data together for them, uh, breaking it down by location. Cool. All right, and we'll save the big news on energy efficiency for, uh, for old business. Uh, the only other item then under staff announcements is that we are going to be walking in the UI homecoming parade. And maybe you are too. <laughs> uh, we're looking for volunteers to walk with us behind a climate action banner and uh, hand out, I guess, candy and t-shirts. Is that right, Rachel? Yep, that's, yep. A, that's what I know about. Yeah. So if you too would like to walk in the homecoming parade, uh, you can volunteer now or you can reach out to us after the meeting and we would be happy to have you have you along with us. We're going to be reaching out to the climate ambassadors when, as well. When is the parade? The 15th? 
Yep. October 15th. It's at 5.45 p.m. So Friday, right? Yep. Friday. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be able to make it. I have a meeting that goes up until five-ish and then I have to run across town. But when I guess when are you guys like how early ahead of that are you guys yeah, staging? Good question. Yeah, so st- staging, will pro- we're going to have an electric vehicle in the parade. Um, the Mayor and City Council requested it, so they'll be along. We're inviting city staff as well as you all and the climate ambassadors. Um, I would imagine it, as long as you can get there no later than 5.30, um, that would be plenty of time before. You can't just jump in off the street. And <laughs> you could do that too. <laughs> as long as you have a sunroof and the EV and I can be like I, yeah, popped out of the middle. <laughs> Fresh air. Yeah, that's right. The theme is moving tradition forward. So our communication staff felt like that is what our climate action office is doing. (laughs) Yeah, just let us know um, where to meet as part of that. Sounds good. All right, and now we can move on to old business. (laughs) Okay, uh, revisiting the energy efficiency rebate program. Um, I'll... Uh, I'll go over the highlights here. Um, as I'm sure you are all aware um, from the latest uh, greenhouse gas emissions inventory, um, 22% of community-wide emissions uh, originate from residential sources. And the two largest consumers of energy in a residential setting are the HVAC and water heater. So uh, we would like to uh, implement a rebate program um, Bringing, helping to uh, bring residents attic insulation up to R50 level, um, helping them to replace their water heater with an efficient hot water heater, either tankless or heat pump, uh, depending on what's appropriate uh, to that home, uh, duct ceiling, uh, and programmable thermostats. Um, this program would be um, complementary to programs already offered by Mid-American Energy and a loan program um, uh, offered by the Office of Community Development and with the City of Iowa City. Um, To um, help with uh, um, um, the um, equity of the distribution of this, um, we do want to heavily promote this in lower income neighborhoods um, and to look at the uh, effectiveness of the program, we do want to require that any participant undergo a Green AmeriCorps home energy audit. Um, and then we would look at their utility bills uh, from a period 12 months before the project and 12 months after the completion of the project to um, look at the, how effective the project is. One question I had on the in the in the packet when on the agenda, you had a breakdown of of the potential you know cost savings and upfront cost of to these, but didn't have one for the air source heat pump. Um, how how much are it, it, so in the thing you mentioned, air source heat pumps as one of the efficiency measures, but I didn't see a breakdown in the chart. Did I miss it? Um, Air source heat pump is not uh, one of the measures that we're uh, proposing. We're looking at insulation, hot water heater, duct ceiling, or a programmable thermostat. No, I know where the confusion may be is that uh, for the hot water heaters, we're looking at heat pump 
water Heat heaters as well as tankless water right. heaters. Okay, right. Never mind. Then that's then that's correct. Then it makes sense. A question I had, and I apologize if this was in the memo and I missed it and don't or don't remember. Um, since these are higher efficiency uh, pieces of equipment in the case of the operation of like the HVAC, are there estimates on what repair costs will be if the equipment's going to be higher quality, higher performing? Typically that means there are more costs associated with either upkeep or repair. And I just wonder, is that something you can look at and make sure the households are prepared? It's like certain HVAC systems go from that every other month or every three month filter, which might cost you 20 bucks to one that's replaced annually for maybe 150 bucks. Um, kind of throwing out numbers there, but I think I'm kind of close on some on some of that. Having sure, yeah, repair costs are not something that we looked at, but I, we can. And, and just so the households can be prepared, then that I need to give credit to a, an, an installer who I once talked to who's, who said he was part of a program, I think it was a federal program where they were installing various equipment and that ended up being problematic down the road when there were repairs needed and the maybe they weren't even needed or in the aggregate maybe they pan you know penciled out well but if you needed an expensive repair out in one fell swoop it was a challenge yeah i definitely understand that concern so that's something we can look into sarah one question i had is remember we talked about um and i know that now that you know that since i brought this up erroneously it's not in the the list of incentives, but air source heat pumps and trying to figure out how to get more, you know, um, more knowledge embedded in, in the local installers um, who, or you know companies that might be doing that HVAC work and that putting on some kind of a workshop where they buy lunch and bring them in and have someone talk through like, because the, the common refrain is that's great, but those things don't work in a cold climate. But you have in, in around Minneapolis, you have a lot of installers who, who do this really well and make it work for people and trying to figure out like what's the total life cycle cost versus another one. What happens when you're getting that level of efficiency out of it? You know, do you need that backup for cold weather, et cetera? I just mentioned that casually. There's a Gazette interview I had to do like a month ago or something like that. And then I've gotten some calls and emails and they're like, oh, tell me more about air source heat pumps. And I don't actually know logistics of it other than knowing it's probably a good thing and so trying to figure that out you know I, I did send one person to you I don't know if they followed up no they haven't yet but that's a good idea you can uh, send them to me and Daniel you we have both that, have air source heat pumps in our home with a backup furnace um, mine has a backup furnace but only because it's an older unit I realized so, so Daniel usually does not have a backup and you don't freeze when the temperature goes below 30 degrees right so I don't know. I, have a, I do have a backup furnace. So oh, you do have a backup <laughs> yes. furnace. So that's the thing, right? Knowing like how that, but anyway, to right. figure that part out, I think that that'd be a great way to, to give the incentives to the actual HVAC installers and help them to be more comfortable promoting it if they know how it would work would, would help people. So part of the reason air source heat pumps are included in this proposal currently is because uh, we wanted to not create too much overlap between the existing energy efficiency loan program um, through neighborhood development services, which does cover uh, HVAC systems. 
Um, and we thought what we could do as we're piloting this program is use it as an opportunity to start seeding the ground with contractors, exactly as you've described, Stratus, um, inviting them in to get some information, not just on how the systems work, but what the key selling points are so that they know how to talk to customers about them. Um, and to that end, Daniel and I are going to be attending uh, the Iowa Energy Efficiency Summit next month in Des Moines, um, in part because they're bringing in a speaker to talk about exactly this thing. And so we're hoping that uh, we can convert or uh, uh, recruit him or her to come to Iowa City and sort of reprise that discussion with our contractors. So uh, stay posted. We have some some engagement ideas there that are in the works. That's awesome. And, and just to be on the record, it was your idea. We were talking about it two or three months ago. You're the one that brought up the idea of going directly installer. So just want to be clear that this is not my, <laughs> this is Sarah saying this, and I'm just following up on it. So I'm sorry, and I might have, can you clarify? So what's in that, in this energy efficiency program and what stays in the other program? So this program would only cover attic installation, an efficient hot water heater, duct ceiling, and a programmable thermostat. I know there's been a lot of discussion about HVAC, okay, but sorry, uh, yeah, that, that sorry, was my, the, my mistake. That the, I, um, the minute anyone starts talking about things, I'm like, yes, HVAC. Right, but, right. Um, Those are covered so by both Mid American programs and uh, the community de development loan programs. So we didn't want to overlap with that. And how does, I'm sorry, I've had a really long day. You've probably already said some of this, but um, so if someone needs, one thing from one program and one from another, how, how are the, how easy is it for them or not? <laughs> or, or do they have to apply? Do they manage both applications or does somebody talk to them about both needs and funnel it through the two different places? I, I can hop in if you'd like. Um, I'm not on the video. Rachel Kilberg, Assistant City Manager. Um, I think at this point, we, have, we haven't worked out the application process yet. We're still trying to just narrow down kind of the details of the program, but it would be very helpful for us as we move into the next phase of that. Um, if you have any comments or suggestions, I think our goal, just talking internally, is to try to find some streamlined way that we can incorporate it into our existing uh, community development rehab programs, because there's several beyond just their energy efficiency program as well that could be bundled with with that'd be rebate. super so it's you know more basically treating the resident like a customer and it's just a transparent approach for them and the behind the scenes is wherever <laughs> you're sending papers from one floor to another or, or whatever so but thanks no it's really exciting and thanks for all the hard work on it i know to also coordinate it with the utility programs is is uh, a bonus but also a challenge Um, so we we could I guess move on to old business. Uh, no, no, old business. Question, yeah. So I, I see a couple sort of equity-minded parts in here, including sort of the sliding scale for the rebate, and looks like you're going to be doing some tracking of where these are going in. Um, so one thing that I keep coming to mind is like in thinking about applying an equity lens to some of these things that are done at the household level. Um, and I don't know the answer to this. Should we be thinking more about, you know, areas of town, like geographies or like characteristics of individual households that are getting this? Um, 
to better understand this. And so, you know, when you say pilot project, it seems like these are ways to experiment with to what extent possible, like collecting all sorts of information and then maybe using it later as questions become more refined. Um, the second is, and this may also have to do with like, maybe informed by Green Corps America, going back to this question about the business owners and their, you know, their tenants, their owners, and the participation in these programs, um, to what extent do, do people that are, that are landlords participate in this? Or are we just seeking to get like regular, you know, home, people that are living that are homeowners? Landlords do participate once in a while, but not often. And I think that's a, a communication thing because when you say energy audit, they probably think one thing. So it's, it's somehow getting in, speaking to them and telling them what we can do and also letting them know it's not gonna cost them more money too. Okay, so we may already have some communication related disparities for something that not doesn't cost you anything. But here we're asking for investments that, um, so that could be different, plus that it's a rebate instead of like a grant. Um, so I, these are sort of like dimensions of this that might be useful to think about and, and collect data whenever possible. Or even as part of the, you're doing post uh, installation tracking of energy, part of that process could also, of that post-occupancy evaluation could also include like questions or a short survey about the program itself potentially too, if that's not already been incorporated. I'd be really curious to find out how these people learned about it. Like in this pilot, you've already, you're going back to people that have already participated somehow, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, expand this, I just think of like, there's, there's all sorts of, this is all great activities. Um, but it's always in the back of my mind, like who can take, who will, who can, who will take advantage of these resources. Is there a way for example, and realize this, not to make it too complicated, maybe it's for after just an initial uh, year of doing this and working out just there's so many things I know you have to work out, but kind of along what Eric said, like if you look, looked at say, who's having trouble paying their water bill? Is that a strong indicator for somebody who their house may need some of these attributes more, more than another house, you know, that the benefit from insulation that their bill then is going to go down for heating. Um, and there could be other parameters. We were talking about um, in our building working group, when I was in planning school, we did a study for Dubuque called Green and Healthy Homes so that they could prioritize how they were rolling out their program and not you know that was an, an exercise in some ways and there were but we tried to find some proxies because you can't always get say the electrical or utility data if you can get some of that then that's obviously a, a big additional key I mean you'll be looking at their you'll be asking for that mm -hmm. um, sometimes though you need more than a year or two to see right the pattern how, how challenging it is but mm -hmm. um, anyway I could I'd be happy to talk with you guys more about about that and I don't know if we, there were more that came out of our discussion a couple of weeks ago. But there was, but I'm blanking on it at the moment. But yeah, some of those other some that. of those Just other things that serve as a yeah. proxy for for need in or in addition 
to just what a what a bill is. Um, I can speak a little, um, Eric, to, you, to the pair of questions you had about uh, looking at neighborhoods versus looking at housing characteristics for uh, outreach. We have been doing some preliminary thinking about this. Um, and in fact, using AmeriCorps data, uh, when the AmeriCorps team goes to do an energy audit, they collect several data points on every house they visit. Um, and one of the things that we had the AmeriCorps team do this summer is um, I asked Megan's counterpart, Evie, to go through five the full five years of data and pull out data points that could be used in analyzing the housing um, building characteristics along with the energy results that they were getting. Um, this was, uh, to give credit where credit is due in the spirit of Stratus, uh, this was an idea that was put forward by Mosin, um, and we just figured out that we could use the AmeriCorps data. So Evie pulled that out and combined it with data that we asked her to look for on the County Assessor site um, and have now created a very large data set actually of over 500 households that uh, one of the next things that Daniel will be looking at is going through and uh, seeing if there isn't some indicator we could find mm. in the housing stock that we could be using to target this program. So- I mean, I think one of the things Becky, you brought up was age of house, you mm -hmm. know, home. I mean, that could be one potential, you know, when was it constructed? Um, you know, have they gone through any renovations or per, like pull the permit data, you know, if there's been um, renovations made or things like that. Because then you could almost do, you know, outreach geared towards neighborhoods because, I mean, and that's more on a neighborhood scale because neighborhoods tend to come in developments and times, you know, age, certain ages or, time, you know. Exactly. What I find is interesting after having bought a house or a single owner, realizing like single owner houses are can be a disaster. Uh, the more times that house is flipped, the more likely it is to be updated. It just feels like, you know, that's an anecdote of, you know, observation and it doesn't hold its way, but man, you know, <laughs> you gotta look out for those single owner houses that go on the market for now. <laughs> Uh, clearly, it's an evolving program. We're excited to launch it, and we're excited to continue this conversation as it moves forward and figure out how we can keep refining it. So thanks for your support for the project. Were there any other questions for Daniel before we moved on? Good work. There's a lot, yeah. a lot to yeah. jump into and do. I guess we'll, we can move on to new business. Um, and uh, we have a presentation on flood resilience action, the flood resilience action plan for Coralville by Astig Planning. I was sort of hoping we could keep talking about the energy efficiency program because I have a big apology to issue on this one. Um, through, I, I want to be very clear that it is it, not the fault of Astig Planning at all, but uh, in inviting them to this meeting, uh, I gave them the wrong date. So they were planning on coming. This is the sixth, isn't it? <laughs> we just lose our quorum or no? Hmm? We just lose our quorum. No, you're so good. Um, we need five right now because so we're five, one number six. short. Because we're short one. We're short yes, one. Right. Ah, okay, keep talking. Um, so with many apologies to you, and I gave many apologies to V from Astig Planning, uh, the slides were included in your agenda packet. Um, what I've suggested is that uh, if you have a chance to read through them, if you have any questions you'd like to pose to V and their team, um, they can come in and do a presentation either at a future climate action meeting or as it turns out, Mondays tend, or turn out to be really bad for them. 
Um, so I suggest as an alternative, they might come and meet with the adaptation working group, mm. um, which may be able to dig in a little deeper yeah. as it directly relates. So mm -hmm. uh, rather than give them one incorrect date, I have now given them a range of several correct <laughs> dates to choose from, and uh, we'll keep you posted on that. My apologies. Can you speak a little bit to um, kind of purpose in inviting them and, and hearing about this particular program and be just kind of... Sure. Um, well, they had actually reached out to us having recently completed a flood resilience plan for the city of Coralville. And of course, many of the flood issues that Coralville contends with, we contend with as well. So they offered to share some of their findings. Um, and I think they did extensive community engagement on the project in particular, which was of interest to me to hear what they're hearing from community members and what you know folks in Coralville understand about flood risk. Um, that we might learn from and engage with in Iowa City as well. So I think it was an interesting project. I, I was interested in hearing more. Hopefully you are too, but regardless, they are very interested in sharing it. So you know one of the one of the questions or some of the questions I field when I talk about, you know the the actions we're taking, the climate action plan here in Iowa City is how do you know how are we integrating or communicating, working with our surrounding communities? And so I just wondered if, you know, there are certain programs or certain kind of topics, projects, whatever it may be that, you know, we're doing, wanting to do more out, like not just outreach, but like integrated approaches, you know, like the EV readiness plan is obviously one, one way of kind of a different way of doing it, but there's just kind of our immediate neighbors. Um, you know, the growth solar program was obviously one that had an impact with our immediate neighbors, but just thinking about, um, you know, are we, are we being uh, intentional about some of the different things we're thinking about? So, and if there are opportunities that if we could just say, hey, we're in the development on this type of program, would you also, you know, would you be interested in, in something similar in your community? And, you know, can we share best practices or whatever it may be? Here's what we're thinking about doing, you know, like the rebate programs or things like that. And, you know, we do have the sustainability working group right. of Johnson County that meets quarterly. It's um, it's sort of a staff working meeting, so it's never been, it's not publicized the way public meetings are, though it is public. <laughs> and anyone, if you, if anyone's interested, you can come and present at that. Um, and that loops into several of the other towns, um, the school district, and uh, sometimes, well, Stratus, the town's crooked. So there's a little sort of redundancy with this group, actually. But we some cross-pollination. But yeah, there is. That's the better word. Yeah, there is. That's a good way to. Put Can you all give some sort of indication about where Iowa City fits within, you know, the the level and depth of activities of other, um, uh, I don't know, government. I, I can speak on the broader scale, like yeah. national, international stage. I was, I mean, I, I'm keyed into um, kind of the green building industry throughout, you know, um, and I will say that when we share stories about the climate, what we're doing here in Iowa City, and, and if we hear about what other communities are doing, we are certainly ahead of the ball, it seems like. Um, and uh, even like in the approaches, you know, like sometimes it's completely, um, like staff, like it's, there's no community involvement. It's very, it's just very kind of, you know, government directed, um, just even the approach of having a, the commission, you know, and, and having community members participating in that process. 
Um, and then sometimes I've also seen like like district size scale um, it happening like within developments or certain areas, districts of, of a metro area rather than the entire kind of the entire community. So uh, it's kind of all over the board, but I, I would, from my perspective, from what I've seen, we're certainly ahead of the curve. You think you think about local governments? I mean, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about you know Becky was saying about sort of you know, Johnson County and Coralville and um, North Liberty and whatever other levels of government that I'm probably not aware of. Um, you know, does there seem to be less more happening here? Are we the big gorilla? Are we just like a? You a, mean in within Iowa? I mean, like within our area. County, like like you corridor. know, some oh. people are on that call from. I mean. Probably Iowa City is doing the most. It has a formal sustainability position. The um, other towns do not. That's not to say people aren't working hard on things, but it tends to be part of somebody else's position. So on the sustainability working group, the folks from Coralville, they have a focus on stormwater. They still, you know, they'll play ball and be interested in other topics. Um, from North Liberty, we get someone whose position I think is actually called special projects. <laughs> administration and special project um so it's um you know it takes a while for most entities to commit to having a position though at the same time you want sustainability embedded everywhere right <laughs> you know you know that and so it's um i think there's going to be a shift probably in the next year or two there is a state level program that's being developed to help encourage cities to participate so the more that do the more it will probably still uh, make changes within our own county. I mean, county has made, you know, just got a sustainability manager a little over a year ago, making them only the second county to have a position. And Polk County is now just starting things. So I think it will actually make a difference that statewide more will be happening. Do you, do you think that there's some, you know, we talk a lot about a lot of different topics related to uh, climate, climate action here. Do you think there's some areas that right now, because the constellation of other actors and their capabilities that lend themselves more towards regional cooperation than others. I know this, uh, it really got me thinking during this transportation planning process that it seemed like it was coordinated, engaged, like each one of these groups, these, um, these municipalities have this function that they needed to be thinking about. Are there parts of, you know, the kinds of topics we talk about that seem to be better suited for regional cooperation? Some of them have come before because the Iowa Economic Development Authority has it as part of their objectives. So they then offer, I mean, some of the EV uh, discussions arose because of that. So it's a big question and I don't, <laughs> I mean, it's a great question, but it's also, it's a, it's a pretty. Yeah, I, I do think that um, we're, it's probably like, I mean, in people's minds, it's it's a farther out issue. But you know, north of us, especially like North Liberty and some of these other towns, Swisher and small places that want to grow, um, you know, they're tapping into groundwater, and those aquifers cannot withstand that level of withdrawal, and so they're going to end up in a system in a situation where they are going to run out of groundwater, and they're going to have to switch to surface water systems, and that's where it's going to require inherently more regional cooperation with Iowa City, who has the developed system, and connecting into or figuring out what that looks like and you know using the Iowa River perhaps or other sources of water and that's something that's come it's like you know that that's going to happen in the next maybe it's 
10, maybe it's 20 years, but it depends how fast they grow. And, and that's one that I see as a big need for regional cooperation that start, should start now. If, they're, if you're going to figure this out, the time horizon is really quick when you're thinking about something as challenging as this. And those discussions are not, as I know it, like robust yet. But that's a huge question of like, where's the water going to come from for all the development north of us? And that may end up being addressed in some way by the joint. There's a group called the Joint Entities, which is the representation from the cities, the county. I'm not sure who else is on it. And they meet quarterly, maybe even more frequently now. And uh, that would potentially, I guess, come before them. If you want to go to more meetings, I'll let you know when those meetings are. So, but I mean, it's also a play. I, I'm not sure how much time they ever do public comment. They they must have public comment, but uh, I'm not sure. But if you wanted to go ask them questions, you probably can. I mean, on the statewide side, the you know when it comes to some things like regu some regulation type things, there's um, while they're not setting it, they're they're providing feedback input as part of that process. So like building codes. Usually that's a that's a process in order for, for it to get accepted by an authority, um, and then also, um, I mean, just but just general advocacy too, and not necessarily you know the like having a, a committee or a plan or something in place, but it's that um, coordinated effort in some ways, whether it be for legislation like incentive-based legislation or regulation or any of that can be could be coordinated better, I would think. I can tell you personally, I don't think a day goes by when I don't think, how can I be doing this with someone else so it's not isolated? Mm -hmm. Or how do I even get started? Because there's already existing programs and you don't want to duplicate. So it's just, it's, it's a challenge. All right, so I guess um, we have working group updates if people have them to go through really quickly. Um, Matt, I think you're the, you're the, oh no, yeah, Becky's here too. So I think the buildings working group, um, if you have any updates for us, you can hear those right now. It was, it was a pretty short and sweet memo, right? This month. I can't remember when our next meeting is. <laughs> I scheduled it, but. We did want to uh, oh, um, make sure you. It, I'm, I'm yeah, we wanted to add. Did, did I send it to you? Or? I believe so. Yeah. I did. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like I'm a Zoom generating machine. <laughs> but I mean, as previously mentioned, that we were talking more about data, like the use of data, and and you know what might be helpful in with some of the programs that are going on or and programs that get developed. So I mean, I think there's more to come, more to go on that. You know, as far as which is why we want to get get you in on that uh, on, on that working group just because that comes up quite often yep. and becky i think like the zoom generation what do you say being a zoom generating machine it's not like the the new hallmark for productivity it's how many zooms it can generate in a given <laughs> week-long period uh so the next uh group is outreach which is uh matt krieger john fraser um and then I don't know who, um, hmm. you're not, so you're not on the outreach group anymore, Eric, but Grace is on that Grace, one. And... So Grace Holbrook and then uh, Madeline Bradley's no longer with the committee, but so I guess Matt, that falls to you. <laughs> if you have any updates. Well, you know, per the, what's in the, in the packet, the, um, a lot of it was talking about the climate fest and, um, cause that the, our last meeting was actually during that week. 
Um, so we just gave it a brief update on kind of the activities, events that were happening at that point, uh, and then what was left to come. Um, and um, and then also about just kind of an update on what uh, equity and adaptation was working on as well, just to see if we wanted to get um, the outreach group looped into that because it seemed very appropriate for for the activities of that working group as well. And then we talked about just some additional feedback from the um, the marketing presentation, just because that you know that's something that we've had on our radar on the outreach working group for quite a while. And so just you know now that it's kind of off and running, what are the next steps and just some general feedback. Great. And I, I don't know, we talked about equity and adaptation merging or being, you know, coming together. I don't know where that's at, but I don't know if there's an equity update, Eric, or... Can I ask you a question about outreach? Do, what, do you guys ever have discussions about or make a distinction between outreach and engagement and the kinds of things you're discussing? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say... No, I mean, not specifically. We, we always talk about them in a combined sort of way. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, one of the goals that we've been trying to work through within each of these meetings now is also identifying like specific actions where, you know, we want to like sort of talk through that in more detail, work through whatever challenges there might be with certain actions. Um, I would say that we keep getting diverted to talking about other topics over the last couple of meetings, but that's one of our, our kind of goals ongoing now is to, to provide some focus to specific issues within the plan um, that, um, you know, in a more of a problem solving idea, ideation sort of process. Um, one of the more recent ones was, you know, how do we, how do we approach the landlord? Um, you know, the, the, the fact that over 50% of our residential stock is, is rented, not owned. And so uh, how do we make an impact there? Um, knowing that that's a big challenge. So that's just one of the things that we're, you know, we're trying to do part of the group. Uh, so the equity and adaptation, and we're, Eric, I don't know if you have an equity update, otherwise. Um, so I was not able to make the last meeting because of teaching, but um, I don't know. I was there, I can speak okay. to it. Or Megan. Megan I, guess, I, yeah. I don't think we have an update. Like we just had whatever was on the agenda packet. Yeah, the big discussion actually goes back to that uh, business map that we had been talking about earlier. Um, in the conversations with the different business owners, um, we heard varying levels of engagement with climate action and a lot of questions that could be answered. And it got us to thinking about one of the items called for in the work plan um, for the phase two, which we're in now, is creating a green procurement or local procurement uh, program. And uh, those conversations, though not intended to do so, identified some interesting hurdles from the business community's perspective to developing something like that. Um, at the same time, Jane Wilch, our recycling coordinator, has been steadily working on um, a program designed to assist restaurant owners with identifying better to-go container options. And this grew out of uh, finding out that we couldn't accept clamshells anymore. Um, and we don't want to just be a city that says you can't do that anymore. We want to be a city that's also working, you know, to offer other solutions. So um, she put out a big survey this summer that uh, I think it's, one of, there, is it 500 or 800 people responded? It's a lot. She got a lot of responses back. 
Um, and Sur survey to who? A survey to Iowa City residents. It's actually a two-part process. She wanted to survey um, the residents first, just to find out like what are their preferences in to-go containers. And um, one of the big findings from it, well, there were two, which this shouldn't seem like such a surprise, but one of the things people really value when they get takeout is the convenience. And if they have to wash that container before doing something else with it, uh, that eliminates the convenience um, factor a bit. So what uh, there was an overwhelming preference in the quantitative and qualitative questions for compostable containers as a result, because they want something they can still throw away, just throw away in a better way. Um, the other significant finding from that survey was that um, there is a smaller segment of the community that is open to the idea of reusable containers, like taking their own containers from home to have them filled at the restaurant or fill them themselves. But there are a lot of questions about whether or not that's allowable under current health codes. Probably not. Um, so Jane has reached out to the Johnson County Health Department, which confirmed it is allowable. Um, and so I think what is shaping up from that process is maybe a two-pronged engagement strategy where one is to work with businesses who she'll be surveying next to find out if there's a way we could help with um, just somehow with compostable containers. Um, and the other is engaging with community members to say, if you want to bring your own containers, you can, you know, just clarifying that and providing some guidance on it. Um, all of which is to say, this was brought up in the adaptation and uh, equity working groups, which have been meeting concurrently and will be at least through December, to say, if we're thinking ahead to some sort of green business initiative, green procurement initiative, um, containers and to-go containers seem like a good entry point for that discussion. Um, there were some, in our conversations with business owners in the North Side neighborhood and downtown, one of the things we heard that was so interesting is that there are business owners who want to be providing um, things that come in reduced packaging, but what they're finding is that reduced packaging gets damaged in transit and uh, then customers don't want to buy it because they think the goods inside are damaged or they think they've been returned. And so they were identifying different hurdles like that. And then when we got to talking to restaurants about to-go containers, it just seems like there's a window of opportunity there that um, if we're thinking about how to start on better procurement practices, working with compostable containers might be a nice way to go. So um, I suggested having a meeting with Jane to talk further about the findings and what she hears from the restaurant owners in particular once she conducts that second survey. Um, and then at the same time, the equity and adaptation group suggested looping outreach into this conversation as well, since there's a clear outreach component to it. That was a lengthy update. When will that meeting be? Or do, is it to be scheduled? I think it's to be scheduled. Um, the adaptation and equity group, as you may recall, is also currently working with the um, group, the student group from Iowa State University. And so I suspect the November and December meetings are going to be taken up with updates from that and potentially a rescheduled presentation from ASTIG planning. Um, but that's great because that gives Jane Wilch time to conduct that second survey. Um, so maybe it's something we circle back to in January when we can really go at it in a deliberate way. You mean the whole of the Climate Action Committee that she could 
or, or you all in adaptation and equity will look at? Well, that's really up to you. I was going to say, as it's now touching on three out of our four working groups, it might make sense for her just to present to the commission as a whole, and then the individual working groups to take up actionable steps after that presentation. Is that the direction the commission would like to go in? Okay. Yep, Great. that would be super. Sounds good. Put that to a vote. <laughs> And that, that's interesting to hear about Johnson County Public Health interpreting that. Yeah, wow. Will be allowed that's... because about six years ago, I actually was in talks with, I think it was Jen at the time, Jen Jordan, and we consulted what we, we had. I think we even had come up with some messaging, um, but and we doubled, we were checking with public health and we were told we could not encourage that. So um, that's that's good to know that yeah, not... the, the option that it could be done in a safe and practical way that's really surprising to me i remember um going to starbucks year after year after year and like i check once a year and seeing if you know like they would let you bring in your own container cup and they're like no you can't and then this last because coffee day what was that like on wednesday you, you can't if it's their container Free? right huh <laughs> you can't if it's their reusable container Oh, is, is that true? I think it has to be the Starbucks Starbucks oh, mug. Oh, oh. <laughs> it used to be like because I was in Arizona, they were like, no, they were like, no way, it's, it's a health code issue. Um, but anyway, so this was Wednesday was National Coffee Day, and they they said you can get a free cup of coffee if you bring in a reusable container. Hmm. To see those shifts is pretty pretty interesting. Well, maybe they're opening up even more. Not yeah. to get yeah. too far ahead and not to just ride on your coat completely, but if there's a way, it perhaps could be. Uh, What's right? that? Um, branded so that it could be used countywide. So, mm -hmm. you know, another town could use it, or it could be used in the rural areas and unincorporated areas. I think that would be great. Um, maybe there's a way you could add Iowa City to part of the logo or the saying or whatever it is, and everyone could could use it. Um, especially for restaurants that might have more than one location, mm -hmm. that would probably be useful. And then it would just get the whole of the community. Um, informed and connected i'm just following up on eric said we just got to do everything it's really interesting like this is the one aspect of the pandemic that's been actually causing me low-key stress i didn't thought about <laughs> is you know e eating out and just the waste the extra waste that are being generated and so just when i go and you know go get something they're giving me like especially like styrofoam it's like this is a it's turned into like a decision point for me whether i'm going to go to, to eat at some place or not and the places that have compostable i'm just going back there all the time even if it's not that was what, what i want to eat necessarily starbucks has been just like i've told <laughs> i've told people that are consistently for years in restaurants when i walked in they have that i said i'm not coming back um here because i don't want to you know use this material so you lost me as a customer and i, I feel like i'm one person but enough people say that that's a point of and it is for me I, I just i know styrofoam is inert in the landfill largely it's it's not a huge but it's like i don't want to use it and i don't want to see it I, I won't buy stuff that's like that and so for them to lose business for that does have an impact i think this is actually one of the reasons jane and the plastics working group that she's put together to work on this issue wanted to do a two-phase survey is so that they could um, find out if this is an inflection point for Iowa City residents. And very clearly the survey re results indicated that. Oh. So now when she goes to restaurants, she can begin the conversation by saying, we have heard from residents that what takeout container you use makes a difference. How can we work with you to choose the takeout container that they're gonna prefer? Mm -hmm. I wonder, 
I wonder if this is something that you could um, they can engage with with Chomp on as well. If that could be something that you know, if I could sort by packaging on a restaurant or something like that. That I mean, just because they have you know, there's that kind of central co-op you know group that that is the point of contact and this is the takeout kind of driver literally um on that that might be a yeah that's actually jane has been in conversation about it um because chomp among the other services they provide for the restaurants participating is they purchase takeout containers and then provide them through a bulk buy essentially at a discount to the participating restaurants and so we had approached them about potentially applying for a climate action grant to see mm -hmm. if they didn't want to buy some compostable containers through that. And the timing didn't quite work out for them uh, this year, but Jane's continued to be in conversation with them about that. So that's one potential way forward. Mm. Very interesting. Mm. Um, and you know, if you want to, because this discussion has changed over the last, last six years, if you want to thank someone, for uh, opening the doors to bringing your own containers to be filled or refilled at a at a restaurant, uh, you can thank your local brewery. Um, it's really growlers apparently that have changed the nature uh, of the conversation. Yeah. Yep. Alcohol sanitizes everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, the, I mean, the entry level. <laughs> some of those IPAs could probably sanitize. Yeah. Thank them oh. over and over and over again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Right, I have to test that that out and see if it works. <laughs> um, so I guess like the you know uh, Sarah's given a, some update from I was not at the last adaptation um, working group meeting and so all right mm -hmm. I missed it and so uh, unless Jesse has a comment um, I don't have anything to add there unless Sarah you have anything nope. else from that group all right excellent uh, so I guess uh, do we have a recap of any actionable items. Um, I've got two noted. One is to look into the estimated repair costs for some of the items that we're um, looking at for our energy efficiency rebate program. So we'll try to look up that information and get back to you on it. And then the other is to schedule Jane Welch to present to the, a future commission meeting about the work that's being done on the to-go containers and interacting with restaurants. So fun stuff ahead. Is there any actionable item that I missed on that list? No, I don't think so. Um... I do. I don't know Jane Welch was involved in this, right? There's a, um, it's because my office staff, uh, Beth and Blake are presenting on plastics coming up here. So that might be a really fun thing. Yes, that, I set up that Zoom. You set it up. <laughs> That's the productivity we're talking about. Um, all your, I think it's all be your children, huh? <laughs> it's that it's probably going to be more sad than happy about what recycling plastics means and portends. But I think it's a good conversation. I think they're both really you know, ex, like at least Beth and Blake are really good on this issue. Jane is, everyone on the call is going to be great. So 1 p.m. Thursday, yep. email me if you need the link to register. That's great. If you have time, uh, if you're sitting and eating a late lunch. Um, other than that, a motion to adjourn. Uh, a motion. Okay, a second. Second. Right. Uh, we'll adjourn until uh, next next meeting. Thank you.